Founder and president Lila Rose started live action when she was just 15 years old from her family's living room. Since that time, live action has grown to become one of the leading national pro-life and human rights organizations in America dedicated to ending abortion and inspiring a culture that respects and defends life. Throughout history, Whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices. You have organizations out there like the Center for Bioethical Reform. The Center for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Center for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then all kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto. I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion. Today we're doing choice chain in downtown Regina. By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life. He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to our defense. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show. And with me is my wonderful co-host, Cameron Cote. How are you, sir? I am doing very well, Peter. How are you? Yes, really, really good. I'm excited for the conversation that we are having today. Uh, but before we get into that, for those of you who are new to the program, who are the pro-life guys? Well, we are two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of pre-born children in Canada, which is where we live. And this is a podcast dedicated to giving you the tools that you need to change minds and save lives from abortion. What we want to do is inform you about the culture war. And what we want to do is to give you the conversational and apologetic tools and methods and strategies and tactics that we use on the streets so that you too can have effective and winsome conversations about abortions. So go check out the other episodes that we have. Uh, there are some that are more apologetic. There are some where we have guests to, to talk about the work that they are doing. But thank you so much for tuning in. Today, we have a special guest on the program. We've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time now. Her name is Lila Rose. Uh, for some of you, she needs no introduction whatsoever, uh, but I will give her an introduction here. She's a writer, a speaker, and an activist. And like I mentioned in the opening of the program, she founded and serves as the president of Live Action, a human rights nonprofit with the largest digital footprint for the global pro-life movement. Lila is the author of her new book, which is coming out very soon, Fighting for Life, Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World. We briefly touch on that towards the end of the episode. And if you want to get a copy of the book, go check out the show notes, click, click the links and, uh, and, and get that book. It's coming out in about uh, a month and a half from when we're recording, May 4, uh, for those of you who uh, are not watching this or listening to it the day we're recording. Lila's investigative reporting on the abortion industry has been featured in most major news outlets. We're going to be talking about that investigative reporting and those undercover stings today with Lila, um, but it has been reported in the LA Times, the Washington Post, the Atlantic, the CBS, uh, CBS and ABC Nightline. Lila Rose has written for The Hill, Politico, USA Today, and First Things, among others. She speaks internationally on family issues, on cultural issues, and has addressed members of the European Parliament and spoken at the United Nations Commission on the status of women. She has been named, and this is pretty cool, she has been named among National Journal's 25 Most Influential Washington Women Under 35 and Christianity Today's 33 Under 33. She is the host of The Lila Rose Show, a podcast that tackles relationships, faith, culture, politics, and more. Uh, she's a native to the San Francisco Bay Area, and she lives there with her husband and her young son. We're excited about this, uh, so let's dive in. We hope, that, we hope you enjoy this conversation just as much as we did. Lila Rose, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us on the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's our pleasure. Okay, so 
Uh, many years ago, uh, a 15-year-old Lila Rose in 2003 started live action in your parents' living room, uh, which is a phenomenal beginning to a great story. Could you share with us a little bit about how you got to, to know about what abortion was, the evil of abortion, and why you thought it was important to get involved in the movement and to be active? Sure, of course. So I, um, you know, all of our stories, I think, start with the realization of what abortion is, all of our stories who are pro-life activists. And so for me, I had this encounter when I was around nine years old with this book in my parents' house. I'm from a big family, one of eight kids. Um, my parents were pro-life, but they weren't activists. And I grew up in um, Southern or in Northern California in San Jose. And I came across this book in my parents' house called The Handbook um, About Abortion by Dr. and Mrs. Wilkie. And in the center of it were the this, uh, centerfold with images. And for the first time in my life, I'm looking at the child um, in the first trimester, 10 weeks old, who'd been suctioned into pieces by a powerful first trimester section abortion. And I was, I was like, you know, probably nine years old at the time. And I was deeply moved by this. And I was deeply saddened by this. And I wanted to learn more. I learned that there's at the time over 3000 abortions annually in the, or daily in the United States, um, that this had been legal before I was even born, that this was prevalent, and it was seen as a, you know, quote, unquote, women's right, and that this was the death of children. And so as I started to learn more, I became more and more passionate. And it sort of culminated for me when I was um, 14 years old. And I just, you know, wrote a book telling a lot of these stories. It's um, a guidebook for activists called Fighting for Life. But I talk about how I'm, and once, you know, when I'm about 14, I'm, I'm starting to get involved in some pro-life work, but I go to an abortion clinic for the first time. And I'm outside this big Planned Parenthood in downtown San Jose to pray with a couple friends and to have just, you know, pass out brochures to any women who are going in if they'll just receive them with, you know, prenatal care help and other resources. And I remember just being so deeply struck by looking at all these women going into this abortion clinic and looking at, you know, those women crying and just like a very desolate scene and realizing that I was within yards of um, an abortionist, a paid murderer who was literally uh, dismembering living children, human babies. And, you know, this a clinic killed children up to six months old in utero. So babies that can survive outside the womb with medical help. And I remember just standing there, um, you know, I couldn't call the police. There was nobody to stop it. It was legal. Um, it was, it was protected. And I thought, I can't not do something, you know, this has to be my cause because it's so accepted. It's become so normalized and we have to stop the killing. And so that inspired me to start live action and really um, dedicate so much of my life to the pro-life cause. That's super, super interesting, Lila. And I love hearing that kind of awakening story. I, I feel like for so many of us who become activists in the pro-life movement, like you mentioned, it's kind of this blindsiding of getting hit out of nowhere at times with this abortion issue and realizing that all of the plans that we may have lined up for ourselves are now now, now going off to the, the side so that we can pursue this deep, deep injustice that is so deeply rooted in our society. I'd love to ask, and, and I'm sure that you, you touch on this in the book as well. I don't want to spoil too much about the book, but so as a 15-year-old girl, I, I'm sure that pro-life activism wasn't the, the only thing on everyone's mind. I, I think when I was in high school and I was just pursuing sports with, with everything that I was doing, I, I wasn't thinking about much else beyond that. What was it like kind of deepening your pro-life involvement in high school and, and within your peer group? Was that something that you were doing alone? Was that something that you were doing with friends? Um, what did that look like at your high school as you took on more of that role? Sure. Well, first of all, I was homeschooled. So, you know, my high school experience was a little different than average. I mean, I did go to the community college and we had a part-time high school that I attended um, twice a week. So I definitely had some of that typical high school experience, but definitely also different. Um, and that, you know, I had a lot of different friends and some joined me and would come to pro-life club and come to live action. We'd, you know, talk about how can we educate our community and do different things. Um, there are other friends who are kind of, you know, maybe tolerated what I was doing. They weren't necessarily super supportive or against it. They just sort of were like, okay, what, you know, that's what she's into. Um, but as live action developed and I started doing investigative reporting in college, and then we started to really, you know, 
I think friends saw that, wow, this isn't just some extracurricular she's doing. This is like her cause. Um, and it became more evident and the work became more public. Um, you know, there definitely were some friends who were upset, um, who, you know, were not supportive. And, you know, that was part of the navigation of being an activist and standing up for something that most people are apathetic to or have even come to accept. And I think that's the story of any activist. You know, I talk about this in Fighting for Life in my book where, you know, we have to leave our comfort zone and we have to be willing to stand alone sometimes. Um, I have a chapter called Prepare to Stand Alone and it's about, and I know you guys are totally familiar with this too. You know, we have, you have to be willing to know that there will be lonely moments, but leadership is lonely. And, um, you know, but if you forge the path, people will follow. And that's what I ended up discovering, you know, after putting in so much time and effort and, you know, a lot of making a lot of mistakes along the way, doing activism and work. Now live action has over 5 million people following us. And, you know, we've been able to do uh, a lot of great things, but the secret was perseverance, um, even though there were lonely moments and there were certainly hostile moments. I, I love how so many of us can relate to the idea of, you know, you, you do this pro-life activism and you might do an internship here and a week off work there to do some pro-life thing. Um, but everyone expects you to like settle down and get a real and job be and, and get married and, and be normal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just get a, get a normal job. That's yeah. right. Um, and then they all scratch their head wondering like, man, she's like taking ownership of this movement. Mm -hmm. um, what, a, what a very strange thing to do. And uh, I have to say from the guests we've had on, from the people we know, that certainly is a common theme for those of us who work in the pro-life movement. So you talk about live action and, will, and uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, for those listening, we need more professional people full time in the pro-life movement. I mean, I think people are like, oh, good job. You know, good job, guys. Go do the work. I'll donate, you know, but we need people from every background with every skill set and every experience level to join the movement full time to really end this thing. I mean, we have to take it extremely seriously. We need world-class talent and people willing to just put in the work. So, you know, I, it's not just for us. Like I try to tell people we need, this isn't some weird, unique calling that I have. I think we all share responsibility to solve the problem and just to, to respond to the crisis. It's gonna look different for each of us, but you know, I would urge people to prayerfully consider maybe this is something God's calling you to full time. Yeah, I, I think of the 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 quote that Greg Cunningham said that uh, at one point he said there are more people working full time uh, to kill babies than there are to save yeah. them, and and the people working full time to kill them they're, they're the doctors, uh, they're the nurses, they're the OBGYNs, um, you know they're the you know the people with with good careers, um, and so we as pro lifers really need to to take stock of of what our priorities are in many ways uh, as communities as churches uh, as pro life groups and, and really like you say um you know see whether this is something for us not a special calling written in the clouds that god wa god wants us to do uh, but a real life way to stand up for the vulnerable and the weak now so this is what you do with live action uh this is um, a big part of, of what you do is, is defending and protecting preborn children. Now you have 5 million followers right now, but when you were 15 years old in your parents' living room, live action was an idea. Live action was in its inception. So could you share with us, what was your initial plan for live action? What did you want to do? And what did the first, you know, little bit of time look like as you tried to, you know, get people involved, get people trained, all of that? What, what was it that you were trying to do with live action? Sure. Well, the original focus of live action was to educate our peers. Um, and in San Jose, California, at the time, there's over a million people. I mean, the Bay Area is multi-millions of people. And I started live action because there was no other pro-life education group that I could join. I mean, I tried to join a group before I started one, but there wasn't one to join. So I started one. And it was a lot of trial and error even doing that. But, you know, the goal was educate my fellow peers. And so we got, ended up getting in touch with another group that was located in central California, several hours drive south of us. And they volunteered to help us um, learn how to train to give speeches and on presentations. And so we ended up giving presentations to dozens of churches um, and youth groups about abortion. And that described the abortion procedure, fetal development, abortion risks um, for Christian audiences, you know, the Christian um 
you know, response to abortion. And that was the, that was the path. And then once I got to college, I started trying different approaches because you can just give presentations all day long to your fellow class, you know, students who were there, you had to be a little more creative than that. And so I started also doing investigative reporting and that launched live actions. You could say media centric focus, which was still educational in nature, but it took on different tactics to achieve that education mission. I think that, that that leap into that investigative journalism is such a fascinating one because it, it not only is it so important, but it's so unique as well that, that there's so many lies and deceptions that are shrouded around the abortion industry, the abortion injustice around the world in America, in Canada and elsewhere. And share a little bit about the, the development of that idea going from, yeah, giving presentations to peers to taking on an entirely different persona and, and going undercover into these Planned Parenthood clinics to, to show the heinous kind of acceptance and what they're willing to cover up um, that, that you're able to expose through the um, investigative journalism that I'm sure many people are somewhat familiar with, but, but Share a little bit more about that and and what that was like really going undercover and taking on that new persona, I guess. Sure. So, you know, I, as I was researching and studying the abortion issue a lot um, in high school and then entering into college, I realized, you know, one of the biggest um, themes of the abortion industry was deception and, um, you know, outright lies about what abortion is. And, um, you know, the reason abortion exists is because people tolerate it. And the reason people tolerate it is because um, most people don't know really what it is. They've never had that emotional intellectual connection with, wow, this is a baby that's being slaughtered. I mean, um, they just think about it in terms of choice, you know, or women's empowerment or reproductive freedom. I mean, these really positive sounding phrases that the abortion industry and lobby has used for decades to justify you know, what is now the killing of over 60 million children in the United States alone since its legalization. So as I was studying this, I realized, you know, we need to cut through the lies. And then also, you know, media groups are not, you know, they're not in exposing abortion clinics. Um, you know, school, the school system is not like teaching the truth facts about abortion. Uh, there, there's whole systems and structures that are set up to support abortion. Um, you know, the status quo is pro-abortion. And so to cut through that noise, somebody has to present the truth and, and use a different route to do that because your traditional gatekeepers are not going to let you, you know, it's not like the, the media is going to let you, you know, call them up and be like, Hey, you should do a story on abortion. I mean, no, they're not interested. They don't care. They're not going to go, um, you know, when Kermit Gosnell, an infamous abortionist in the United States um, was finally put to trial for murdering born alive infants, you know, he would sever the spinal cords of born alive infants in his Philadelphia abortion clinic. Um, at times, the press section was even empty in his courtroom. It took time for the media even to show an interest in the story, even though it was so riveting. Um, you know, he's a mass murderer. And, and those cases are usually very interesting to media. So anyways, I say all that to say, when I got to UCLA, I started doing reporting. I wrote a um, an article for my school newspaper. They accepted one, but they weren't going to accept more, you know, much more than that. Um, and I I wanted to start my own magazine or my own newspaper to report on abortion and related issues. And so I did that. And then I met James O'Keefe, who at the time was working for the Leadership Institute, giving a presentation on student reporting at my school, which I attended. And we just started to get in touch. And at the time, he was fresh out of college, but he would go on, um, as some folks know, to found his own investigative organization called Veritas. Um, and he and I talked and he said, well, why don't you just do investigative reporting of your own institution and local abortion clinics eventually? So, you know, building on the work of other activists, I was very familiar with Mark Crutcher of Life Dynamics in Texas, um, which, you know, he did amazing work investigating the abortion industry for decades, very underreported what he did. Um, but I was like, how do I do what he did, but make it even more public, you know, make it even more, um, expose it here in Los Angeles where my school is and make it even, you know, get as many eyeballs on it as possible. And that was particularly exposing sexual abuse cover up of young girls at abortion clinics, which is another one of the many angles of illicit activity that happen at abortion clinics. You know, when you disrespect the child and kill the child, you don't have a lot of respect for the mother. So all that to say, I started, um, after a lot of trial and error and studying and, you know, ultimately it's just like, okay, I'm going to try this. You know, I got a camcorder, you know, I got a voice recorder. I did my research. I, you know, read up on investigative reporting as best I could. Um, you know, it wasn't like I was formally trained for it, but I began doing investigative reporting and I went undercover into two Los Angeles abortion clinics. And I also went undercover at my student health center. 
That, that's amazing. So let's let's jump into this a little bit, Lila. Um, you did the research, you looked into these clinics, you knew there was uh, something wrong, which is actually fascinating um, because Planned Parenthood and the, the pro-abortion movement uh, says that they support women and women's rights and all of that. And then some of the things that uh, your undercover investigative stings uh, showed was that that was actually not in fact the case at all, um, but they didn't care about women at all. And so could you tell us about that first time that you went to the, an abortion clinic undercover? I mean, you had your camcorder, you had your, your microphone. What was it like? What were you feeling? Uh, and what was, what was one of the goals or what were some of the goals that you wanted to get out of that one specifically? Did you have anything specific or did you, were, were you just thinking, this is the persona I'm going to take on Let's see where the conversation goes. Let's see what happens. Um, but tell us like how you were feeling in that first time and some mm -hmm. of the things you uncovered that first time you went out. Sure. Well, investigative reporting, you know, part of it is exploratory. Um, part of it is testing theories. Um, you know, you don't want to go in there and assume, you know, exactly what will happen, even though you're very strong idea that this is what is happening. Um, but, you know, undercover reporting is to further prove out your theory, you know, is this theory happening? Um, and you really want to take it at face value in the sense that you want to be as realistic as possible with your undercover reporting to um, present scenarios that are as realist, realistic as possible for, you know, the, the, the focus of your investigation so that you can really see how they're actually responding. Um, and so for me, that meant, you know, in trying to expose sexual abuse cover up at abortion clinics, I was going off of Mark Crutcher's work. He had done a survey phone call um, years before of over 800 Planned Parenthood facilities um, with a young girl on the phone posing as underage, uh, seeking an abortion, um, and saying that she had a much older partner. And over 90% of the clinics that she called effectively told her via phone that they had a don't ask, don't tell policy on sexual abuse, meaning we're not going to ask any questions that's coming for a secret abortion. Now, that's technically against the law in most 50 states, meaning you are supposed to report even suspected child sexual abuse if there's child sexual activity happening, if there's pregnancy, shows that there was some sort of assault or statutory rape. You are supposed to report that immediately to Child Protective Services or to a government agency or to the police, whatever. So I wanted to take on that persona, a young girl who is the victim of sexual abuse, an older partner, as many young girls bear, who's pregnant, who's sent to an abortion clinic, often coerced, sent, you know, to cover up the crime. And what happens to her at these Planned Parenthoods, these tax-funded, government-supported Planned Parenthoods? And so my first uh, Planned Parenthood walking into was in Los Angeles, um, posing as a 15-year-old girl with a much older boyfriend in his early 20s saying that, you know, I was pregnant, what do I do? And it was shocking to me. So the, the script was pretty straightforward. I was just presenting myself to see how they would respond. So there wasn't some elaborate, like, you know, I'm going to get them to say this or that. I really wanted to see how do you respond to an underage girl alone who's pregnant, who indicates she's in a sexual relationship with a much older man, which is fairly rare for a girl to be explicit about. So I wasn't going in there saying, I'm in a relationship with a much older man. You know, I was going to um, only offer that information depending on how the conversation, you know, if that was something they solicited. So I wanted to present it um, as naturally as possible. Long story short, I go in, um, you know, there's paperwork to fill out. I asked for help on it. I say, you know, they're asking my age, you know, what do you, what do you need this for? Um, and they say, well, you know, we need you to put down and I said, well, I'm only 15. Um, and then, you know, they said, okay. And I, I, I indicated distress because to put down in the paperwork at my age, and it's asking about my partner who's much older, you know, am I going to get in trouble? And I said, well, and you know, he's much older, he's 23. And then the Planned Parenthood worker didn't even like skip a beat. I mean, it's like, as if this is such a normal situation for her, she just kind of laughed. And she said, and this, by the way, was a clear case of statutory rape in California. So it should have triggered mandatory reporting law for her because of my disclosure. But instead, she laughed and she said that I should figure out a birth date that works. She tells me to lie about my age on the paperwork so that I could get a secret abortion there and there'd be no questions asked. Um, that same day, I went to a second Planned Parenthood with very similar results. And I realized this is wild. You know, there is no reporting happening here. You know, they they could care less. Um, their focus is to sell abortions. It is not to figure out what dire straits these young girls are in. They just are selling abortions. That That is just mind-boggling. <laughs> I'm sure your, your knees were knocking as you're walking in there just, just with all of this going through your mind. What was it like coming out of those mm -hmm. clinics? You've got this evidence now. You've got 
something that can hopefully, um, I mean, derail or, or throw a major hurdle or, or maybe even shut down these clinics? What were you hoping that this evidence would be able to, to achieve? And what was the actual outcome when, when you started to mm-hmm. present this maybe um, to, to the people around you and, and further and further beyond that? What were you hoping for and what was really the outcome of those first things that you did then? Well, I mean, honestly, at the time, I was really focused on exposing my campus because they were not providing pregnancy support for women and they were just, you know, basically also selling abortions. And so I, you know, and I'd done an expose on them first. And so when I reported on what was happening in the Los Angeles clinics in my student magazine, Advocate, um, it was on the back page. You know, the, the story of the Los Angeles abortion clinics, I was like, oh, it's it's obvious Planned Parenthood is doing this. I didn't think I thought, you know, in in one sense, I thought, um, you know, it mattered, but I didn't think that this would become a national story, at least not yet. You know, I was very focused on solving, you know, cleaning my cleaning house on campus in in my on my college campus. But when we did that, and I did send out a press release, I was like, well, this is a big story. I'm going to send out a press release. And I, you know, bought a press release subscriber, you know, subscription, like figured out how to do all of that. It was all very, you know, self-taught. And when I sent that out, um, you know, I got like a couple blogs talking about it, you know, pro-life blogs mostly. Um, and, you know, because it was on YouTube, there were YouTube videos of the investigation. And I remember the first day, you know, that it had like 100 views, the YouTube video. And then by a couple days, it was up to like 10, 20, you know, it was in the tens of thousands of views. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. People are actually paying attention to this. And that's because it was kind of going around the blogosphere. And then I got an email from Planned Parenthood threatening to sue me because of the videos. They had become alerted to the videos. Some reporter asked them on from some sort of, you know, news outlet that was beginning to take notice of what was happening. And that's when the story really blew up because now it wasn't just some plucky college student, you know, exposing this. Now Planned Parenthood <laughs> was trying to silence it with a lawsuit. And then media started to report on the lawsuit because that was more, I guess, controversial than covering up sex abuse. I mean, <laughs> you know, again, it's the media bias issue. It's like they had to, they, they only could pay attention once I was getting sued as a college student. That was interesting enough. It wasn't interesting that abortion clinics are literally um, covering up the sexual abuse of little girls. That was not interesting enough. But all that to say, um, that catapulted the story more nationally. I had my first national cable TV interview on the, on the primetime show at the time, like the number one rated show. And then there was more media interest. Um, but I realized too, okay, I just did this in Los Angeles at two clinics, one, two, and already I found this. What about other clinics? And so that also made me start to think, you know, broaden my horizons beyond California and UCLA and say, I I should expose this nationally. And that will make the narrative so strong that hopefully most media groups can't ignore it anymore. Because not just two clinics in LA and some college students, it's now this national story. And so that inspired continuing investigative work throughout college and even, you know, throughout my 20s. Um, And we would end up at Live Action, do major major investigations annually of all different topics. We're still on, they're still ongoing today. Um, And over the years, you know, we've got a fair amount of media coverage. Of course, they don't like to cover what we report because um, it's not favorable of Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. But the good news is we've had a lot of traction through independent media. Um, there's been a rise in that, which has been awesome. And that's been a way to get the word out, um, you know, regardless. It's tragic that, you know, as a culture, we have the Me Too movement. The media, you know, likes to have this facade that, you know, they're for justice uh, of all types, especially for women, especially for minorities and and others. Mm -hmm. And yet the the desire to keep this abortion industry running as normal, uh, you know, right. as much as possible, it just blinds them um, right. to the fact that there is a 15 year old girl who's making some claims uh, and and her abuser should end up, you know, in a court of law and, and perhaps in prison. Um, that's a real tragedy. Uh, I have to say it's I mean, it's devastating to hear. And you just wonder, I mean, you were there as an investigative journalist, you were there to try and uncover some of the things that were happening. But as you said, you just have to wonder how many little girls, how many young girls Mm -hmm. across the nation, perhaps across the world, are in a very same situation, same situation that you were proposing, um, and that you were like, kind of putting on yourself, but in a real life situation, and they just have no way to get out, perhaps they are Planned Parenthood worker is the first person they, you know, they open up to because you know, often they are. For help maybe. Yeah. 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 And, and, and what do they get is, 
you know, we'll take your money, we'll kill, kill your child, and we'll do everything we can to silence up what you said so you can remain in the situation right. uh, that you're in and so that abortion can can remain, I mean, remain legal with, with no one else challenging it. So really, really devastating. Now, I wonder, so you did you did more investigative um, reporting uh, more around the country. Were, were there some other things that you uncovered as well? So you talk about, um, you know, the, 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 you know, child sex trafficking cover up and some of that. Were there other um, revelatory uh, moments for you as you were uncovering more and more things about Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry? Yeah, absolutely. And we've done probably eight to 10 um, major national reports on different elements of the abortion industry. And investigative reporting has been undercover reporting has been a component. And so, you know, sexual abuse cover up was one, um, the cover, but aiding and vetting of sex traffickers at abortion clinics was another uh, medical misinformation that they tell to women pretty frequently, um, straight up lies about uh, fetal development, the abortion procedure, um, you know, really horrific late term abortion practices, like born alive infants in abortion clinics that we've documented where the um, workers or the abortionists express that they would kill a born alive infant, even though, of course, that's infanticide. Um, but, you know, I guess it shouldn't shock that they would do this. They'd kill the same baby, you know, minutes earlier in utero. Um, so we've, docu we've documented that. Um, the sex sexual education practices uh, that go hand in hand with abortion um, providers. So Planned Parenthood is one of the main sex educators in the United States, believe it or not. Um, they receive tax money to do that. And the way that they teach sex education is um, not just um, immoral in the sense that they're promoting promiscuity and sexual deviancy, but it's it's physically harmful. I mean, some of the practices that they promoted are um, sadomasochistic practices to young girls, um, risky sexual behaviors, um, misinformation again about um, you know the harm that early sexual exposure can cause. That's a whole other element. So I could continue on. I mean, lies about services is another investigation. Um, We've done a lot, you know, there's been a lot. And one of our um, former employees and a, a great friend of mine also did a phenomenal investigative report along a similar vein recently, which you guys probably saw in the last few years on exposing the body part sale and trafficking happening at abortion clinics. That's yet another element. Um, there are so many um, illicit and unethical practices in these abortion clinics. And then um, it, it, this is for a few reasons. Number one, because when you kill children, you lose your moral compass. I mean, it's very hard to maintain a moral compass when you're literally involved in killing children. Um, number two, state authorities, media groups, watchdog groups, they don't care. They don't really investigate abortion clinics because of the, the political football or this political sacred cow of abortion, they somehow get a pass constantly. Um, and then number three, you know, the general taboo of abortion. You know, people not really wanting to talk about it, you know, it, it being so highly charged for people that also has prevented information from spreading. And so that's why, you know, we've done these investigative, this investigative work and why I think it's so important. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's so important for more and more people to be aware of this because, as, as both you and Peter have mentioned, Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers around the world are lauded as these great mm -hmm. um, beneficial educational groups and whatnot. A question that I, I'm curious about. So ob obviously you, you do all of your research before going in on these sting um, kind of operations and whatnot. Was there ever, has there ever been a moment where obviously it's not a matter of like going in with a, a clipboard and, and trying to take off all of your questions. <laughs> was there ever a moment where um, it was like, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? A, yeah. a moment of panic when, mm. okay, you, you get moved in, into a different, my, uh, not, not to dig up you know, these horror stories, Renee, I, I don't know mm -hmm. if you have them, but I, I'm curious, sure. was there ever a moment when in the midst of something you, you think, oh my, what have I got myself into? Why couldn't <laughs> I have just gone down? Why couldn't I have just stayed in the classroom yeah. and kept presenting um, within those things, I guess? Well, there were definitely a lot of close calls doing undercover work in abortion clinics. There were a lot of horrific sights, um, you know, women vomiting in hallways, um, you know, blood, um, you know, just women who are very obviously pregnant and, you know, they're going to leave with that child being butchered. I mean, really heavy, heavy stuff. I mean, these are the darkest places in the world, I think, um, abortion clinics. And so there's that element. There's the element of surprise. You know, we want to stay undercover. We're not there to be detected. But, you know, there have been definitely close calls with that that have been nerve wracking. Um, but, you know, 
I think the perspective always is, this is a job in the sense that, you know, this isn't like, you know, this is a very serious thing that we're working to do. And also um, the victim, you know, the, the hero, whatever you want to say of the story, we have nothing to do with, you know, we're simply there to try to expose the truth. And the victim are the, the children that are being killed. You know, we are, we are unsafe and protected. If someone tries to murder me, some, you can call the police. You know, I have someone to, to call. The children don't. Um, and then also, you know, the, the real people who are heroes here are the people that, you know, despite the odds, are choosing life. And, um, you know, who are pushing back against, you know, the culture they're swimming in that's so, just have an abortion, just have an abortion, just have an abortion. You know, I've, I've been privileged to talk to you know, just last week, I was interviewing a sexual assault survivor, you know, of a brutal gang rape, who chose life for her son. And, you know, people bullied her to have an abortion, you know, it's like, oh, pro-choice. No, they were like, oh, it's a rapist baby, you don't want to do this. And she chose life. And so you just hear these incredible stories. And I think um, doing undercover work, it's all about mindset. And the mindset is, okay, what's my job? Why am I here? What's my role? And that really keeps the focus. So you don't get you know, freaked out or all up in your head, you know, you're just very focused on accurately portraying your role and, you know, doing your mission to, 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 you know, serve the greater cause. Yeah. Th thank you so much. I want to thank you for the work that you're doing, uh, standing up for, for women and children, uh, and have been doing for the past little bit. Uh, I'd like to transition a little bit into, uh, where live action has gone from then and perhaps uh, where you are today. Because I'm going to make the assumption, I, I I don't know this offhand, but I'm going to make the assumption that Planned Parenthood, you know, got a hold of your face, probably posted it in, in Planned Parenthood's, let their clientele know, or uh, let their, uh, you know, their staff know, you know, if this person walks in, uh, make sure you send her right out the door that she came in. Um, so once people started to get to know you, once they saw your videos, once they recognized that you were coming in their clinics, uh, not to get an abortion, but to expose some of the things that they were doing behind closed doors, um, how did, you know, live action, did you change your focus with live action? Did you, uh, transition a little bit? Um, was your team grown by then? Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about how you kind of expanded live action and, uh, and went on from, okay, I, I can't go in these clinics by myself, but, um, this is what else we can do here. Sure. It's a good question. So, um, early on, you know, I wanted to just, you know, use whatever gift I had to maximize it, but I quickly realized that you know, I needed to build a bigger team. And I always had a team that I was working with, um, that I was, you know, I'd recruited or, you know, friends that had come on board or whatever. And so, you know, there was a time when Planned Parenthood did have wanted posters of me up in their facilities. Um, and I did disguise myself, you know, I, I bleached my hair blonde and wore glasses and, you know, tried different things. But ultimately, um, you know, it, it didn't really make sense for me to continue to go undercover myself. And it didn't always warrant that, you know, we actually had, you know, used investigative reporters who actually were pregnant, we had different scenarios. So ultimately, I would go on to recruit other people, um, build a network, build a bigger team, build an organization, raise more money so I could hire more people. Um, and all of that was the slog, you know, that's the like, <laughs> the, you know, the sort of unglamorous day in day out hard work of organization building, but it's so necessary and so important. And, you know, just one step at a time and worked on that for a long time. And so now Live Action has a great team and, you know, phenomenal team. And we do investigative reporting to this day, but I'm not, you know, necessarily in the very thick of it. You know, I'm, I'm definitely involved, but not in the way I was in the beginning. Yeah, I, I, th I think about that, the, the, the things we do behind the scenes. I mean, there, there's some stuff we like to put in the newsletters, but, you know, the, the regular day to day stuff just isn't as riveting as some of the, you know, on the streets work that, that we do. I, I was just going to ask, so I, I'm sure that um, like a lot of different pro-life organizations, you'll get um, either suggestions or requests or mm -hmm. whatnot. I just out of curiosity, somebody, somebody approaches live action and say, Hey, I, I want to do an undercover, um, journalism opportunity right. here in my hometown. Uh, I, I, I'm sure that there's some listeners who are, are, are going to listen to this episode and be like, oh my goodness, I want to be just like Lila. <laughs> I'm sure that, that you've heard this before. I'm sure that when you give presentations at high schools and colleges and whatnot, people come up with their own plans to do these um, exposés on their local abortion facility. Um, 
does live action have a protocol for how to actually equip people with what they would need to know or, or give them some degree of instruction? I, I remember speaking with a couple of pro-life heroes here in mm. Canada, uh, Mary Wagner and Linda Gibbons, who go into abortion facilities and try to counsel women out of choosing abortion. They've been in prison on countless occasions. And they, they encourage people don't just randomly go into a place and, and have a plan, have that sort of thing. So if if somebody was thinking about trying to do an expose <laughs> with their local clinic, yeah. do you have a, a protocol or what would you say to them, I suppose? <laughs> um, you know, first of all, I think if someone's listening and feeling inspired, like, oh, I want to get involved in pro-life work. Awesome. You know, we need you. Um, but I would just urge you, um, don't just do something because it sounds cool. You know, <laughs> like um, investigative reporting is not, it's not glamorous. It's not you know, it, it, maybe it seems exciting, I guess, like a Navy SEAL is like sort of, you know, exotic, but Navy SEALs work their butts off, you know, <laughs> you know, they, and I'm not saying you have to be a Navy SEAL to be an investigative reporter, but I'm saying there's a ton of, a tremendous amount of work that goes in the background. You know, I didn't go undercover, but by the time I went undercover, I had been studying the abortion industry over for over five years. Um, so it wasn't like I woke up and I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. I'm going to try it out. You know, there was a bit of a um, serendipitousness to it. And the fact that I had come to UCLA, I'd started the magazine, I met James O'Keefe. So there definitely was an alignment of opportunity. Um, but it was the result of also a lot of, you know, intentional work that had already been done. And then later on, as we developed the program, there was a ton of intentional work that went into it, as well as getting legal support, um, you know, getting more formal training, a lot of other pieces. So, you know, if someone's listening, they're like, I want to go undercover, you know, when we get emails saying like, I want to go undercover, we're like, you, you know, we usually, you know, redirect the person, like, here's some ways to get involved, but we don't say, okay, great, get your camera, you know, go do it. Um, but we don't want to dissuade people from getting involved in pro-life work. I just think that there's really meaningful ways that, you know, beginners can get involved. Um, and I would never squash someone's creativity. Obviously, if you feel called to do something and you do your research and you, you spend your time studying, you know, God bless. Like, I, I, I really hope that you're successful in your, your own mission. Um, but, you know, when we get you know, inquiries, we have a list of ways that people can get involved that we recommend. And they do not include, you know, walking into an abortion clinic undercover. That's not like a um, something to do. Uh, just, you know, you wake up one morning and you and you do it. Right. That's that's extremely good advice. And, and I, I like the point, you know, when you started live action, you were focusing on education. Mm -hmm. You were educated yourself beforehand. So as pro-lifers, it's, it's vital for us to get education on on what the abortion war is like, on how to effectively engage with other people, how to effectively engage with the culture and, and see people change their minds on abortion. So um, we I know we in Canada, if you're in Canada, we we do uh, training here at the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. I'm sure you guys do as well uh, at Live Action. I've, I have one question as we slow, slowly start to wrap up this episode. So Planned Parenthood threatened you with a lawsuit. Um, did that go anywhere? And have you seen other lawsuits like that as you continue to reveal more and more about uh, about what's happening behind these closed doors? So that did not go anywhere. I don't think their case was very strong. And I think it also was a public relations nightmare because they're going after a college student and a, and a young woman, um, which very much goes against their narrative that it's like old white men that are controlling, you know, pro-life activism or whatever. Um but that being said, my friend David and my friend Sandra, David Delighted and Sandra Merritt, are right now being prosecuted by the state of California for their investigative reporting in the state five years ago. So, um, you know, the, the, the stakes have gotten great, greater um, and there are real attacks. I mean, the amount of persecution that they've undergone for their reporting and the, the, the particular approach that they took is absolutely unprecedented. Um, there's a incredible double standard. I mean, there are undercover reporters in just the last few years, exposing things in California, chiropractors' offices, marijuana factories, you know, different things. And they're not, they're, they, they went undercover, no no problem. Nobody, the state of California left them alone, they're fine. But when a pro-lifer does it, exposing Planned Parenthood selling body parts, instead of going after the Planned Parenthood affiliate in California, they, they didn't touch them. Planned Parenthood was donating to the campaign of the prosecutor um, the attorney general who goes after my friends. So that's just the corruption, the complete dirty politics in my state um, and what's happening right now. So anyways, all that to say, you know, I've been very fortunate, blessed to not be the victim of um, extraneous lawsuits. 
And I, I'm grateful for that because Live Action's been able to do a lot of other things. You know, we don't just do an undercover work at Live Action. We have a huge education program through videos and courses and a lot of other approaches to, to you know, talk about abortion and educate millions of people on that. Um, but there definitely are attacks on, on pro-life reporters in the United States. And I, and I think my understanding is in Canada, mm -hmm. I mean, Mary Wagner, not a reporter, but obviously has been, you know, treated terribly by, by Canada. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you mentioned the educational resources that you have at Live Action. I've I've had the opportunity to to go through some of the online courses and whatnot that you guys have available. I can't recommend them highly enough. As we start winding down here, Lila, as you've mentioned a few times, you have recently um, written a book about to be published coming up here um, later this year called Fighting for Life, Becoming a Force for Change in a Wounded World. There's a million questions I'd love to ask you about this book, about the writing of the book and all it entails. I, I don't want us to spoil anything because I really want people to check out the full story. Can you tell us a little bit more, though, about your your decision to write this book and what somebody could expect? Um, I know that you can do a pre-order now. What could somebody expect um, in purchasing and, and reading through this book? Sure. Well, I had been, I've been thinking and praying about writing a book for probably a decade now. I've always wanted to write. You know, when I was a little girl, my dream was to be an author. So it's definitely very exciting to get to finally write a book. But, um, you know, I prayed a lot about it and I was like, the time isn't right yet. The time isn't right. But, you know, when I hit my early 30s and I looked at where live action had gotten and where our movement had gotten, I realized we need more tools to inspire the next generation and not just the next generation in the sense that younger people, but um, just, you know, people that also feel called to make a difference. And I realized, wow, I have 15 years of being in the trenches and learning lessons, not just activism lessons, but learning personal lessons about leadership, about standing up when something is controversial, about being lonely, but persevering, um, about you know having your insecurities and your own personal wounds and drawbacks, but still um, finding the courage and the confidence to stand. And I was like, I really wanna share you know all of this with others so that they can be inspired and encouraged. And that's the heart of the book. The book is the story behind the scenes of live action. It's my personal story. It's my family's story. So it's some very um, personal stuff I haven't shared before, but it's also designed as a guidebook or a manual for others who feel called to make a difference, called to fight for a cause, pro-life or you know, really any, any just cause, um, but they're looking for inspiration for how to start. And they're looking for courage and, um, you know, direction for how to stand, especially when it's unpopular. And that's what the book Fighting for Life is about. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that. Um, I'm just wondering, where can we get it? It's on Amazon. It's everywhere uh, we can pre-order. And when will it be coming out? Thank you. Yes. It's available for pre-order now. And actually... If you go to fightingforlifebook.com, um, there's a pre-order special. So you get the study guide, which my my, my parents-in-law, actually, I'll show you this very personal. My, my parents-in-law, I married an amazing pro-life man <laughs> who has amazing pro-life parents um, who are educators themselves, you know, professional educators. And they worked on the study guide with me. They just did a phenomenal job to really help it, you know, complement the book and what you're learning. And then you also get the first chapter free. So if you want to read the first chapter already, like today or tomorrow, you pre-order Fighting for Life wherever you order books, Amazon or Barnes and Noble or whatever, um, Books a Million. And then you go to fightingforlifebook.com, you know, fill out the form and they will send you the study guide in the chapter. So that's what my publisher saying. Make sure to tell people, I keep forgetting, you can get it this week, the study guide and the free chapter. And then the book comes out on May 4th. May 4. Okay, sweet. Okay, fightingforlifebook.com, everyone. Go check it out uh, after you buy the book uh, on Amazon or wherever you buy your book. We're going to put the link in our show notes as well. So if you forget um, or if you're trying to frantically write this down, uh, just check our show notes, uh, click the link, and you will be there. Uh, one more thing before we go. How can we find more about live action? How can we get involved? Uh, how can we reach out to live action with any other questions that we might have? Thank you, guys. Um, liveaction.org is our website. We are all over social media, live action, you know, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever, wherever you are, Twitter. Um, I'm Lila Rose or Lila Grace Rose as well in the different platforms. So a lot of the content um, I put up on my pages. And yeah, there's, you know, a lot of videos on YouTube. You can check that out. Um, but I hope that the content is um, helpful to you. One, one um, series I definitely recommend is called abortionprocedures.com, something that Live Action developed working with former abortionists. 
Um, it's very much in the spirit of CCBR and, you know, your work, um, Greg Cunningham's work, but it is a different, a slightly different tack so that it won't get censored by social media. <laughs> um, and it's actually really powerful for people who are pro-choice and they don't want to be, you know, offended by, you know, something gory, you know, but it's, it's actual medical animations of the abortion procedure. It's still incredibly um, compelling. So that's another tool um, for folks. So yeah, check out liveaction.org. Liveaction.org. Sweet. I, I, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you in another episode about the videos that uh, came from the conversation you had with Dr. Anthony Leventino. They're, they're videos we've actually used on the streets as well, just in some conversations pulling up our phone. I will leave that for the next conversation that we have. Lila, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. You guys are awesome. Thank you and keep up the amazing work. That was Lila Rose of Live Action. Those links, as we promised, are in the in the video description. So go check them out. Go buy her book, uh, and 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 dive into that about her story, about the lessons she's learned, and advice for those joining the pro life movement now. Cam, give me your thoughts, sir. Oh man, my my brain is swimming right now. That was so cool. We've mentioned it before, especially after the episode with with Scott Klusendorf and countless others of the guests we've had, but. What an amazing experience to meet one of my heroes, one of my my absolute um, yeah heroes. I, I can't think of another word to describe it. Heroes in the pro life movement. Somebody who has been such a a groundbreaker when it comes to exposing the horrors of the abortion industry and abortion itself. Peter, you and I are dedicated to showing the reality of what abortion does to preborn children and having those compassionate and compelling conversations. And so much of the work that we do relies on the information and exposés and whatnot that people like Lila Rose have done. And so that was so cool to hear her story, to, to learn the, the inside scoop on, on what those um, sting campaigns were like, what that investigative journalism really entailed. And I cannot wait to get my hands on this book. I, I will be pre-ordering it and I'm looking forward to diving into it um, to learn more about her journey and, and the incredible themes that she has to share with people like us who are looking to become leaders in the, the global pro-life movement. And like she said, for any um, kind of justice-based movement, this is so important for people to be aware of because it's not easy working for a nonprofit, but she has blazed the trail and she gives some incredibly good advice and direction for how to thrive within that capacity. So I can't wait. That's right. And uh, as I promised in the episode, we are hoping to have another conversation with her shortly. So stay tuned for that. For those of you who are new to the Pro-Life Guys and aren't familiar with some of the other things that we do here, we have two other series that we run. One is called Humans of the Pro-Life Movement. It's a segment where we have short conversations with some of the activists in the movement, some of the unsung heroes, some of those who are going on the streets, perhaps day in and day out, perhaps on a volunteer basis, defending the def defenseless, being a voice for those who don't have a voice themselves. They have some pretty cool stories uh, of minds that have been changed, of lives that have been saved, and about their, uh, you know, their journey into the movement. Some of the stories are extremely inspiring. So go check them out on your podcast catcher or on YouTube. The second one is The Pulse, where we have a conversation uh, once a month about uh, important and interesting pro-life news from around the world. More abortion-related news from a pro-life perspective. We want to, to, to take this news and tell it ourselves. We want to be the, the people who tell our own stories ourselves and don't pass it off to pro-abortion media. We heard about pro-abortion media here with Lila uh, and about how much they care for you and uh, how much they care to, you know, keep everything uh, that they're doing what's illegal undercover and make sure it, it continues on as much as possible. So we want to tell our own stories and the Pulse is an opportunity for us to do that. So go check it out. Once again, it's on your podcast catcher or on your YouTube. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you want to reach out to us with any questions, ProLifeGuys.com, or you can find us on your social media apps. Thank you again for tuning in. My throat is going dry, as you can tell, but uh, I will take a drink after we wrap this up. Uh, we hope you tune in again next time. God bless you all.